Hey, we're in our second week of our message series called Closer, where we're looking at a different way of spirituality. We're calling it spirituality for the rest of us. And we're approaching, uh, well, actually, we're into summer right now. And so we're asking God in this season of life when a lot of people are pulling back and recharging and focusing on other things, getting a break. And moms are taking care of kids often in a different way. Sometimes dads are as well. What could you do in us? What would you like to do through us, spiritually speaking? So this message series is all about that. How can we draw closer to God? Now, I need to make something perfectly plain to you that maybe isn't intuitive yet, all right? So, so here's the deal. When we use the idea of getting closer to God, and we talk about that, that's, a, that, that's a, a way of understanding something. It may not be the precise language we should be using, all right? So I, I want to walk you through just a little difference that's kind of a theological, theological precision adjustment thing that we're going to do for a second. So, so it's true that in one sense, you can't get any closer to God than you already are. So I'm talking about it in terms of proximity. Um, when we say the idea of drawing closer to God, what we're not really saying is, is somehow you can move your physical body and be geographically closer to God. That, that's not what we're talking about. And, and we're not talking about it in a theological term that somehow there's a set of behaviors that you can do that move you spiritually closer to God in the sense that you're somehow more saved, more redeemed, more forgiven, more covered by the blood and the work of Jesus. We're not talking about that at all. What we're talking about very differently than some kind of spiritual proximity or geographic proximity, what we're talking about is the tone and tenor of your heart. The tone and tenor of your heart. Is your heart primed for the full work of God in your life? Are you, in that sense, close to him? Does he have to shout, if you could extend the metaphor a bit, as if you're far away, or can he whisper? Is there a nudge that is sufficient, or does he have to bump you? You know, kind of hard to grab your attention. When we say draw closer to God, that's what we're talking about. What is the tone and the tenor of your heart. See, if you've already committed your life to Jesus, you can't get closer. You can't be more saved. What you can do is walk more in alignment with what God wants for you. You can align your heart, your mind, your will to his. That's what we mean by closer. And in fact, that's what I want to talk with you today. I want to talk about the power of worship. Now, worship is a broad concept in the Bible. It can include a lot of different things. If we were going to, some of you math geeks might get this, if we were going to draw a Venn diagram and there was a square of all things worship, there would be a lot of things in that square that would populate what worship could be. We could, for instance, talk about well, what we all just did together as Pastor Will and the band led us in worship together. By that, we mean the course, corporate worship where we get together and we focus our minds, not on the world around us, not on each other, but we lift our eyes and our voices up to God in one collective voice. That's worship. And it's legitimate. It's just not really what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about a broader idea of worship. It's this idea. What would it mean to live your entire life as worship unto God. 
So that when we come together and we sing songs led by our band in, in worship together, that what you do in this room then becomes a part of what you're actually doing in your broader life. So that this room is not the totality of your worship, but your whole life is used and given to God in worship. A simple definition of worship is that we rightly size we, we rightly size our idea, our sense of God in the moment. We rightly size our sense of God in the moment. That he's really big, pretty powerful, and awesome. Theologians over the years have used different words to describe that. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omnipresent, everywhere present trying to get a sense of the grandiosity and the, and the largeness of God. And in worship, we right-sized. Well, what if we didn't just do that in this room? What if we right-sized our perspective of God in our everyday life? Now, in a moment, we're going to go back to the book of Colossians. This is where we looked at uh, last week as we looked at the Apostle Paul's letter to this church at a city called Colossae. As he tried to help them understand what it meant to walk with God in this world, to draw closer to him, to have their hearts attuned to him. But before we do that, I want to give you a different verse that kind of is the quintessential verse for understanding life as worship. Maybe you've heard this before if you've been around church. Perhaps you haven't. If it's new to you, you're going to love this verse. Romans chapter 12, also by the Apostle Paul, written primarily to the Christians living in and around Rome. He writes these words in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, therefore. Now, anytime you come to the Bible uh, and you read the word therefore, you should ask a simple question. What's it there for? All right? Why is there a therefore? In other words, there's a thought that we're already looking at previous to this, and now we're coming to some concluding remarks. So all this previous stuff, the one, chapters 1 through 11 that we haven't read here, and then we come to chapter 12, verse 1, and he says, therefore. Now, let me tell you what is chapters 1 through 11, what it's all about. He's building a case that God is amazing. That God, when people give their lives to God, they say to God, God, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When they believe in their hearts and confess with their mouth that God has raised Jesus from the dead, they'll be saved. Paul's been using all that language to talk about how awesome God is and what a relationship with God can be like. And he comes to chapter 12 and he says, in light of all of that stuff, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, all the stuff we've been talking about, here's what you should do. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So everybody understood the concept of sacrifice back then. It was something we killed on an altar. It was moving, and now it's not. And, and in kind of the gruesome imagery of that day, the blood would run down over the stones, and people used that as a way of connecting to whatever deity they were worshiping. It wasn't just an ancient Israel thing. It was just the religion of the day. It took blood to cover stuff, all right? But Paul says, here's the deal with God. He wants you not to slaughter yourself Physically, he wants you to be a living sacrifice, to give up your way, die to yourself, embrace God's way, and to do that with your whole life. That's what he means by a living sacrifice. And then he says this sacrifice would be holy and pleasing to God, but it's the last line I want to focus on. He says, this is your true and proper worship. 
to offer your life as a living sacrifice. Follow the logic. God's done all this amazing stuff in and through the world. Some people have rejected it. Others have leaned in. God has been gracious. We are both justified by God, adopted by God. And in light of all of that stuff, we should offer our bodies as living sacrifice. Oh, and by the way, this is a true and proper worship. One, one translation of the Bible says, this is your reasonable act of worship. Your reasonable act of worship. In light of all that God has done, give yourself over to this. Follow God all the way with all your life. What if this summer, rather than just disconnecting, we drew closer to God? We got a right perspective of his grandeur, right perspective of where we are and the gap that exists. And rather than feeling, as Paul writes in Romans and again in Colossians, rather than feeling the gap and creating distance, the gap actually causes us, we're motivated by God's mercy in the gap to draw closer to him. What if over the next 12 weeks or so, you participated in God's design and development of your life, making you more like the image of Jesus? This is the broader perspective of what it means to live your life as worship. And so it includes what we do in this room. It includes when you go to school. It includes when you go to work. It includes how you interact with your spouse and your kids. It includes how you think about and handle your money. It includes kind words spoken where a less than kind word would seem appropriate. It includes how you both filter your words, how you listen to other people. It's all-encompassing. What that means is when you take a break from life that we often kind of do in summer, it includes that too. What if things even like your recreation were in some real sense a part of that Venn diagram, the big square of all that is worship? So with that background of worship in our mind, I want to take you to a slightly different place parking place in that Venn diagram that is worship. A slightly different parking place than maybe what we would think about when we typically think about worship somehow happening in this room, or maybe what you do privately alone as you worship God, play, play Christian music in the car or whatever. I want to take you to a concept that's very much a part of the worship of God, but we don't often think about it that way. It's the idea that maybe you heard about it in this language, the idea of God's will. God's will for your life. I want to give you a different perspective, perhaps, of God's will. Now, we've just come through high school graduations and college graduations, and I've referenced it many times. I used to teach high school, and one of the things that was my responsibility to do at the Christian school where I taught was to help kids think about God's will for their life. So we come to the end of these moments of graduation, and people are thinking, well, what's God's will for my life? It's the wedding season. You know, I'm booked solid to do marriages over the next few weeks, which is awesome and exciting. And people are saying, what's God's will for me in terms of marriage? And who should I marry? And no matter what time of year you're in, including the summer, people are saying, what's God's will for my employment? And what's God's will about this thing? And should I do that? Sometimes even very specific things like, should I sell or, you know, should I buy? Should we move? I have an opportunity over here. Should we go? And all these questions, you may not have thought about it this way, but they all fall into that larger category of living your life as worship to God. They come from a very good place. 
to come from a place that says, look, I know what God wants is important. He's big, I'm small, there's a gap. I want to close the gap and follow him better. So what does he want from me here? Sometimes they come from a, a position of opportunity and we're just trying to vet the best of several options. Often they come at a, at a weighty moment when we know that the decision we're about to make is going to have large implications for a long time. And so we want to, you know, ver we, we want to verify and kind of investigate God's will. So let me just give you a statement that's going to frame the rest of our time together as it relates to God's will under the umbrella of our lives being lived as worship unto God. Here it is. God's will is not so much about the decisions we make as it is about the life we live. That's what we're going to unpack. That may strike you as a little strange. Then you just gave for us, uh, conceptually at least, several decisions people me needed to, to make, and they were invoking and searching out God's will, but now you're saying it's not so much about the decisions as it is the, as it is the, the, the life we live. Now, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. I do think that there are important decisions in life we have to make, and I think invoking God's will and searching God's will and discovering God's will is a big deal, but at the end of the day, there might be something bigger or perhaps slightly different to help us conceptualize how to walk in God's will, to walk closer with him. So, so let, me, let me say it this way, perhaps. Discovering God's will is not so much about a destination that we identify as it is about the way we walk on the journey. Discovering God's will is not so much about a destination we identify as it is about the way we walk in the journey. And this concept of how do I know God's will for my life is huge. And in fact, by the time we get done, I'm going to give you some practical handles on how to know that. But before we do that, you have to, I believe, understand if you truly want to move closer to God, live your life as worship unto God, it's less about the moments and the decisions and right or left than it is about the totality of your life. Let me give you a practical implication of this. The truth of the matter is, and you may not know this about yourself yet, but it's true, you already probably know a whole lot of the will of God for your life. But you may not be thinking about what you know as fitting the category of, is this God's will for my life? Most people, especially those that have been around church, some of you have been following Jesus for a while, you already know most of God's will for your life. You do. Now what you don't know, what I don't know yet about my own life is some of the particular moments. We would call those these decision points. Or maybe a destination I want to reach. I don't necessarily know all of those, but I know a whole lot of God's will for my life already, and, and, you, and you do too. That's the first thing we need to understand about God's will, if we're going to see it as something more than just the sum of our decisions. Did I make the right decisions over time, and in so doing, I achieved the will of God? Well, what if it's different than that? What if it's less than the destination you arrived at, and it's the way you walk the journey with him? You walk in the will of God versus you achieve the will of God. Now, the reason we, we, we want to get certainty in these moments of decision is we know they're weighty. 
We know they're important. The truth is, is who you marry is going to have a big impact on your life. And if you're following Jesus, you want to know, does God approve or disapprove? Is this right or is this wrong? Where you work, geographically where you live, these have huge, far-reaching implications. And so we want to know where you go to school, big deal. Those are massive deals. We want to know with a certain reasonable certainty. And that's fine. I'm not pushing back on that. I'm just trying to introduce an auxiliary concept that I think actually overlays this. And it's the simple idea that if certainty of God's will is your goal, and to some degree it should be, if that is your goal, it certainly is to some degree mine, here's the truth. You already know a lot of it. And point number two, a lot of what we already know is God's will, we simply ignore. That's just the truth. You already know a lot of God's will, and if you're like me, maybe you're, maybe you're unique. So let me just make it about me so nobody feels condemned here. I already know a lot about God's will. And there's a lot of it I ignore. And everywhere I ignore God's will that I already know, I am actually creating distance. Now, if I'm a believer in Jesus, I'm not saying I'm becoming unsaved. I'm not saying I'm walking away from the blood of Christ that covers and redeems every sin. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that in this metaphor of closer versus distant from God, I am increasing the distance. I'm deadening my ear to the voice of God. God's grandiosity and how it speaks into my life is actually getting smaller. And in so doing, I'm backing away, walking away from him. There's a a pretty impressive family called the Elliott family uh, a few dozen years ago. 75 or so years ago, and, and, and Jim Elliott became a missionary and felt God calling him to go to dark places to serve the Lord. And uh, at, at one point, they, they arrived where they're going, and, and the natives of that, this area, the story gets a little murky how it all happened, but they killed him. They, they didn't want to hear his story of Jesus. He, his story of Jesus conflicted with their story, uh, and their conceived ideas about the way the world operated and who was really in charge, and they killed him. And so for that, Jim Elliott became quite famous. famous. But his wife, Elizabeth Elliott, also became famous as she was not there, but she began to work through and process what does it mean to have lived with a man who gave his life to service to God and then literally lost his life for his faith. And so in that, she gained a certain amount of um, credibility in the Christian faith as she processed out loud in front of people the struggles and the tensions. She's written a few books. And so she's become somewhat of an expert on on following God's will and the cost that you'll pay. So kind of our third concept is, is you know a lot of God's will. People like me don't often follow all the God's will that we know. But the third kind of idea here where I want to make sure we get clear is, is that there is a cost pressing into God. We know the benefits. That's why we're drawn to it at these moments of significant decision. There's a certain benefit that we understand and are anticipating. If I can figure out God's will, I'll marry the right woman, I'll marry the right man, and that will help me in my marriage. Those are good things. So I am drawn to the benefit, but what we often don't realize that in following God's will, there's a cost to pay. That every time you take a step in the direction of the right, you've avoided the left. Every time you take a step forward, you're distancing from what's behind. We're drawn ahead, but often there's the stuff behind. We haven't anticipated it, but it causes us to experience a sense of cost or loss. 
This, by the way, is exactly why. While we know a lot of the will of God already, you do and I do, we often don't follow it because in moments of significant decision, we're drawn to what's in front of us. But in these other moments of life, and there are far more of them, we're actually aware of the cost of following God's will, and it prevents us from stepping forward into it. So Elizabeth Elliot, in kind of processing this stuff, she says these words on the screen. She says, the will of God is not something to add to your life. It's a course that you choose. You either line yourself up with the Son of God, or you capitulate to the principle which governs the rest of the world. She says, we have a choice. It's a basic approach to life. Will I follow God, do his will, or will I not? If we do, we line up, and if not, we're doing what everybody else does. And so she processes this out loud. And she's trying to get people to see that your entire life lived as worship unto God, following the will of God, is actually good for you. There's a cost you might have to pay, but that cost pales in comparison to what you stand to gain. The grandiosity of God gets larger and rather than repelling us, sucks us in. The benefits of following God outweigh the costs. And that becomes not, here's the thing for us, here's where we're going. That becomes not for us a momentary decision. I want God's will in my marriage alone. You should want God's will in your marriage. I hope hope you're mature enough to do the both and instead of force an arbitrary either or here. You want God's will in your marriage, but you also want a bigger, broader framework for understanding life. All of my life submitted to the way and the will of God. Paul again wrote, this is your reasonable act of worship. In view of God's mercies, how should we live? My entire life offered up. What this means, friends, and you may not even understand it yet, is that your current circumstances, right now where you are, where I am, all of that. It's a part of God's redemption story he's writing in your life. Where you are right now as you're walking this journey with God, he wants to use that to fully redeem you, to fully mold you, to fully make you right in him, to work both in you, through you, and around you. We want, I want, again, I'll just talk about me, no condemnation here. I'm just, you know, doing self-therapy here, all right? All about me. I want the circumstances of my life to experience the will of God because I know that if the circumstances of my life experience the will of God, what will happen is I'll get the benefits. The right kind of wife and the dynamic in my marriage. The right dynamics with my kids so that even if it gets hard, it doesn't get too hard. And The right dynamics and the favor of God on my finances. I love when I think about the will of God and God working in my... I love God in the circumstances. But that's only part of what he wants to do. (laughs) He wants to work in you, in those deep places. He wants to work through you, not just around you. And that begins to fill out the picture of what it means to live your life in worship to God and to follow the will of God. So Paul then, now to our primary verse for the day, where we're going to get the meat to hang on these bones, Paul prays a different kind of prayer. Let me set you up for it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. Paul has written to the Colossians, and we talked about it last week. The key concept from last week was rules or tools are things like prayer and scripture and church and getting in community and having godly friends that you hang around with. Are those rules you have to follow 
And if so, what does that mean for you? How does that impact you? You can listen to that message online. Or are they tools that help you get where you actually really want to go? Different approaches with different motivations that have wildly, I think, different impact on you. Same behaviors, but everything else is different. A rule or a tool. When it comes to God's will, is God's will something you seek just for the circumstances of your life? Or is it something that you seek as a way of life? So Paul prays a prayer in Colossians. Now remember, Paul's in prison. And he's writing a letter to a group of people he cares about. He prays for them. He prays about them. He prays for himself. In this language about prayer that we're going to read, we get close to this concept that I'm talking with you about. Your whole life is worship to God. So... Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. Here's what our Bible says. Paul says, for this reason. It's just a new way of saying therefore. <laughs> In light of all the stuff we've been talking about, for this reason, the fact that God is awesome, that God is good, that he's given us these tools to connect with him, that uh, life with God is better than a life with, without. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, that's Paul and his traveling companions, he's in prison he has some companions around him. They're running his letters back and forth. They're talking about the work of God around the world. Paul is geographically limited, but his influence is actually growing. So since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Now, he then begins to show us what he's asking God for. He's walking out what he hopes to see happen. He's processing what, is, what does God want to do here. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Wouldn't that be great to always know what God wanted you to do in every moment? We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now here's just a little point. The stuff we're talking about here, this is spiritual, not just simply logical. No, it's not illogical. It is a both and. Don't force an arbitrary either or. That's a fool's choice. That it must be this or this. When often life is often a both and. It is both spiritual and logical, but you can't approach this simply through the senses. There has to be a sensitivity to the things of God. It is spiritual. If you're going to get this, there has to be a willingness and a bent towards, a proclivity towards being open to the Spirit of God. The wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit gives. Not that you simply read in a book, but something that God illuminates to you. Maybe you read it, but then it's illuminated. It becomes real, more real, because the Spirit is speaking through it. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. Now, how would you know if you're walking in God's will, living a life worthy of God, pleasing Him in every way? This aligns with Paul's words in Rome. Your reasonable act of service, your true and proper worship. How will you know that? So he's going to tell us. How are you going to know that? God's will kind of made simple and clear. He says, You're going to bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, number two, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom his Son loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. Now let's unpack that a bit. 
as we, as we jump into those words, here's the first thing to understand. That Paul asked for knowledge of God's will, not the solution to, God, to life's problems. Paul, if you want to understand reasonable worship, life lived under the banner of the will of God. Here's the first thing. Paul asks for knowledge of God's will, not simply solutions to God's problem, or to life's problems. God, what's your heart on this? What do you want me to do? A little bit more than just, I'm feeling some pressure. God relieved the pressure. He's seeking the God over the problem, not simply God's relief from the problem. And this brings us right back to our beginning concept. This is the idea of worship. God, the circumstances of my life are speaking loud, but I need a perspective of you. I can see all this. I need to see you. I'm very aware emotionally here. I need your joy in me to be made complete. Paul would say, I'm in prison. I'm in chains. I want to get out there and grow churches. I want to do your work. So what I do is I sit here and I pray. Because I'm bringing God's will to bear on my perspective. God, or Paul, has asked God not simply for the solution to his problems, but he says, God, I want to know your heart on this matter. I want to know you through this matter. So Paul wants to also know how to please God, not simply where to live or what job to take. So he doesn't, this is a little nuance, and so lots of grace here, but not simply, God, what job do I take, which is a fair and right question, but overlaid with the idea of, God, what pleases you most? And so I'm seeking God, not simply the answer. Can you grab that? I'm seeking God, not just the answer. It's amazing how many people, when it comes to those big decisions, want to know God's heart. It's a good thing. Yay. A plus. But beyond that, they already, like me, know a lot of God's will that they've been actively ignoring, just like I have, and I do. So Paul, in his prayer, he starts to press in and he says, look, what we need is a heart towards God's will, not simply relief from our circumstance. We need to understand God's heart on a matter, not simply get an answer to our problem or the challenge in front of us. This then begins to enlarge in what it means to live as worship, and it begins to open us up to experience more of God's will to live closer to him. So let's talk about God's will made simple and clear from Colossians chapter 1. In verses 10 through 14, here, here are a few things that we observed. Now, we already read them, but we'll go back and look. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, again, looking at it, so that you may live a life worthy of the wisdom and understanding that this, uh, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And then there's a colon, bearing fruit in every good work. One of the ways to know the will of God and to understand that the will of God is happening is that good deeds bear fruit. Good deeds bear fruit. The work you do, the the, the effort you give is actually producing something. Fruit. You know, you plant a seed in the ground, over time it grows. And it produces some fruit so the tree can perpetuate itself over time. That's the way God has designed the world. So, in like manner, on a spiritual level in our lives, we do these deeds 
We press in in order to bear fruit. Now, it begs the question, what kind of fruit? Implicit in the will of God is a desire to see what God wants to have happen come to the surface. What God wants to see happen come to the surface. I want this good thing, God. I want this good event in my life, God, because ultimately what I want is your agenda to come to the surface. I want to bear fruit in keeping with you. Now, can we, can, can we do a little honesty in, in the room? I don't know about you. And while I would nod my head, yes, God, I, I want it your way, what I really often want, maybe not you, I just want relief. I just want my thing. I just want it. I want the promise of no challenges. God, speak to me so that if it doesn't go well, I can blame you. Or speak to me so that I have assurance that it will largely go well. In other words, I'm more interested in the periphery, and that's okay. It's just not sufficient. It's not complete. And I'm not asking too much of you in this, by the way, followers of Jesus. Paul says this kind of life is a reasonable act of worship. And God, in light of all that you've done, I don't just want you to make my life better. I want you. I want you, all of you, all of me, covered by all of you. That's reasonable. So I, I want the good deeds. I press into good deeds. I walk the good path to bear the fruit in keeping with him. This is why often when people press into God in the middle of challenges, and then the challenge gets relieved, God actually answers the prayer. Maybe you've never done this. But in the, in the moment the prayer is answered, there's a relaxing of the tension that was drawing them in, and they begin to slip back. It's because our good and gracious God met the need, but we weren't focused on the good and gracious God. We were focused on the circumstance. And, and, and no amount of coming together in corporate worship and checking a list, although it's important to come together in corporate worship and make sure that we're doing that, checking that off, no amount of that in and of itself satisfies what I'm talking about. It's the attitude in which we come together in corporate worship. God, I'm here for you. Didn't we just sing about that? We are here for you. To you alone, we lift our hearts. Yeah, I'm very aware of this. Oh, I am very aware of this. I think I want to marry her. I think she's the right one. God, just show me and I'll do it. Nothing wrong with that. But we're pressing into God. So good deeds. And then, then we read in, 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 in the same verse, bearing fruit in every work and then growing in the knowledge of God. God's will is the kind of thing that over time helps us to get to know God better. So what this means, let me, I'm going to tackle something that I know just gets flat ignored in Scripture, and it's going to upset somebody, and I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I love you too much, and I have a responsibility to God that supersedes what you think about me. This is why young people who are dating people who aren't believers, God, is that the right one for me? I can tell you God's will on the matter. Not because I have spiritual insight, because the Bible is black and white. If they're not a believer, you're not supposed to yoke yourself to them. If you're a follower of Jesus. You're seeking God's will, but you're not seeking God's heart. 
It's the beginning point. God's will is God. Is this the right woman? Is this the right guy that is going to help me grow in my knowledge of you? I've shared on occasion from the stage the handful of people who said, I want to buy this very big, expensive house. Nothing wrong with big, expensive houses. I hope to have one one day. I love them. They're awesome. I love to ride through the neighborhoods. That neither pleases nor displeases God. But all the stuff around them, around that, can. So people have come to me, and they're struggling financially. We have this opportunity to buy this house. And here's what we, Pastor, we want to buy the big house to have the room so that when missionaries are furloughed, they can come and stay at our house. You know how often they actually invite the missionary? But now they're saddled with, but it was God's will, right? God gave them permission. I'm just saying we can do all kinds of mental mind tricks and uh, fooling. That's the word I'm going for, fooling. Boy, I just, mm -mm. fooling ourselves into thinking that we're pressing in because your ability and my ability for self-deception is very large. But God's will begins to show us deeds that bear fruit in keeping with God's agenda. God's will helps us actually get to know God better. So if the job is all-consuming and you can't engage the things that cause your heart to be soft to God, it probably, all things being equal, is not God's will for you. That's why Paul could say, I'm in prison and I'm right in the middle of God's will because God's agenda is still moving forward in my life, through my life, and around my life. I think there's, there's another part that gets overlooked in God's will. And it's the simple concept, I'll just use two words, as pastorally as I can say it, toughen up. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, we read these words. Being strengthened with all power. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that we may have great endurance and patience. A lot of times, just me, I know, I know you've never done this. I just press in because I don't like the tension I'm under. I don't like the pressure I'm under. That's not all bad. It just isn't sufficient. Sometimes God's will is for you to toughen it out. I don't read in the Bible very many places where God's will is for you to be happy. Now listen, I'm not trying to be all somber and sad here. Because he offers a much better alternative. He offers you joy in the middle of your circumstances. And I'll tell you that is a high, almost unattainable goal sometimes. But he's less concerned with the circumstances. Let's start in the concentric circles. You in you, through you, and then around you. So that's why Paul, whose circumstances, while he's writing this very thing, are not good at all. He is smack dab in the middle of the will of God because in him and through him, the work and the will of God is progressing. And so as a consequence, there is fruit all around. So we should be working from the inside out. I tend to start out and then move in. So, do good deeds that bear fruit. Get to know God better. Toughen up. Marriage is hard. Anybody in the room bear testimony? Don't raise your hand. Your, your spouse doesn't need to know. Just give me a little Presbyterian. Mm. Marriage is hard. And so you know what God's word for you on that is? Toughen up. Honor me. Put me first in your marriage. That's God's will for you. You don't have to debate that. You don't have to pray about that. Now, there are outliers that 
the scripture gives us ways to deal with that, and there are certain, there's exceptions, but you're not always the exception. Sometimes the word of God speaks directly to you, and there isn't a loophole. You and I just need to toughen up. There's probably a conversation or two that you needed to have that you put off, because you could anticipate how hard it would be to do that. And as a result of not having, it, having that conversation, you invited all kinds of dysfunction in your life over time. There were consequences that needed to have happened in that person's life that didn't happen because you, made, made, I'll just say me, I was afraid of what would happen when I had that. But God's will is clear on these kinds of matters. We speak the truth in love. You know what that's a matter of? Toughen up. Toughen up. Just because the job got hard, just doesn't mean that God's causing you to leave. We already know a lot about the will of God. So if the job's tough, let me, let me, here's the first place to ask the will of God. God, what do you want to do in me as a result of this situation? Not bad. Marriage is tough. Here's the first prayer. I'm going to tell you what my first prayer. I go circumcised. God, change her, Lord. Break her. Break her spirit, Lord. Cause her, God. Bring her to repentance. I haven't made that up. I never spray that prayer. actually. But here's, here's the right prayer. Here's the right prayer. God, what do you want to do in me in light of the fact that I'm not enjoying my marriage right now? You know how hard that is? Now, here's the second prayer. God, this is the really hard one. What do you want to do through me in light of this very difficult circumstance that I'm seeking your will on, but I don't really want to hear the truth because I really just want you to touch my circumstances? What do you want to do through me here? God, I'm not enjoying my dynamic with my daughter these days. God, what, what do you want to do through me? Here, I jump straight to third level, which is the lower level. God, fix that. It's okay. It just isn't sufficient. So God gives us, through Paul's example here in Colossians, good deeds to bear fruit in keeping with God. Get to know God better in the middle of this. That's always his will. Press into God in the middle of it. Toughen up. And number four, and this is going to be tough. He says that we should be expressing some gratitude. Remember, he literally is in chains as he writes this. So in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 and following, we read it. Let's read it again. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom his son loves. I know it's tough around you, but let me just describe your situation spiritually. He has qualified you. You did not qualify. He qualified you. To share in an inheritance. To live with the holy people in God's light. He has rescued you. You were in trouble. He bailed you out from the dominion of darkness. Now that just sounds bad. I don't even know all that that means, but I don't want to be a part of the dominion of darkness. And he rescued me from that. And he brought us into the kingdom that his son loves. Then the will of God sounds hard. Well, yeah, because you've got to deal with you. The hardest part of your life is you. It is. You fooled yourself in thinking it was your circumstances. You lied to yourself. It was easy to believe because you're surrounded by people who also lie to themselves. And everybody around you blames everybody else for their stuff. And nobody's saying, here's the truth. I woke up and realized, it's me. I'm the problem in my marriage. Or at least I'm a part of it. It's me, I'm the problem in my parenting. It's me, I'm the problem at my office. 
think, think about this for a second. At least some very wealthy people in this city. Let me just pick a family, all right? So if you know these people, no offense, offense. Let's, let's assume that today, Carl Lindner, who uh, owns like, you know, third of the city, uh, billionaire, you know, list in Forbes top 500 families. Let's say that instead of Carl III, who, who's kind of running the family business these days, were to not go to Carl IV and instead say that you now, beginning tomorrow, are going to be the inheritor of all the family's wealth. Now, you, you struck pay dirt. I mean, this is jackpot day. So, so all you got to do is tomorrow when you wake up, we'll show up at the office, we'll sign the papers. And it'll all be yours. So the morning comes, you're excited, you're up early, you did not oversleep, you did not hit snooze, of course, because you're excited. So you get in your car, you know, 2005, Honda Accord, 100,000 miles, but not when you leave, baby, you're driving in a Bentley, all right? So you're excited and you start driving the 25 miles or so from here, the suburbs down to the Great American Building. And on the way, you're... Honda breaks down. They don't often break down, but yours does on this day because you're over 100,000 miles, and so it breaks down. Now imagine you're a mile away from the building. Imagine the next few minutes. How absurd would it be if you got out and you said, kick the tire. I'm so angry, ticked. That's the spiritual way of saying other things that you would say at home. I'm so ticked that this has happened. I'm so upset. I'm so angry. I hate my situation. It's, catch this next phrase, it's not worth it. Imagine how foolish it would be. Now, here's what we would all do, because the tangible goal is so, you would get up and you'd go, you know, you'd have some choice words for the car, and you'd start walking. And you wouldn't be just kind of walking. You would run that mile. Now, is it harder? Yep. You're going to be sweaty by the time you get there? Absolutely. Require a certain toughness? Yep. Maybe you wore the right shoes, maybe you didn't. Maybe it's raining, maybe it's not. But none of that's going to matter to you because you are pressing to the goal. You are now an inheritor. You have now been deposited into. You have now been rescued. And there's just a gap. A gap you're willing and waiting and anxious to press into. Now here's the truth. That's exactly where you are already anyway. Your car has broken down. Life is tough, situations are ugly, but your heavenly Father has given you an inheritance. And he'd simply ask you to show up. Show up. Press in. Walk the distance. In the rain, in heels, uphill, in the snow, both ways. He just asks you to show up. And yet we have lost sight of the real prize. Let me make this clear. I don't know what's going on in your life, and I'm not trying to be insensitive. The real prize is always, always, always Jesus Christ. We just don't realize it. That's why we have to press into the will of God. That's why we have to give our lives over to full worship. That's why we have to say, God, I need a bigger picture of you today. So let's take a few steps as a congregation and press in and do that. Would you grab out your Connect card? And let's, uh, let's take a few steps together. Every week I want to give people a chance to make Jesus their Lord and Savior. I haven't given a specific message about all that sin is and all that redemption is, but let me sum it up for you in a sentence. The Word of God declares that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior in your life. 
And you can't save yourself, but Jesus has given his life on a cross. He was resurrected from the tomb as a way of securing our relationship to God. And you can put your trust in that finished work of Jesus. And in so doing, you can have eternal life. Life with God here and now, and life with God forever. Here's the way we would ask you to mechanically do it. Don't get tripped up on the mechanics. Check next step A with that pen we provided. When the offering bucket comes by at the end of service, put your card in there. Between now and then, I'm going to pray. You can use your own words. You can borrow mine. You can say to God, God, I want the life you offer. You be the leader. I'll be the follower. Forgive my sin. Wash me clean. I'm going to give my life over to you. If you do that, we'll communicate with you. When you put that card in the bucket, legible email, we'll communicate with you. You're not joining our church. You're not giving money. You're not on some spam list. We're just going to communicate with you some of the powerful benefits of being an heir with Jesus Christ. Now here's next step B. I choose to be baptized. This week or so ago, we baptized a handful of people on this stage. We celebrated as they went under the water, dying to self, and they were raised to do life in Christ. So if you want to do that, check the box. We'll answer your questions and get you signed up for the next event. Here's next step C. It's a prayer that I'm going to offer you to pray for, uh, for men at 4C. Now, I'm not excluding ladies, but this week I spent all uh, of the last few days of the week kind of in a men's conference, and just my heart for what God wants to do in men grew. So not in a way to be exclusionary, but to just power on with what I think God is doing in our church. Here's a prayer. Would you pray for the men in our church for them to grow in their desire to know God and to lead the life they're called to live in Him? Just a simple sentence. God, would, would you help the men at Four Corners to know and grow in you? Grow their desire. Would you help them to lead the life that they're called to live in God? Here's next step, D. Who would say, I'll engage the 4C uh, closer Bible reading plan? If you check this, we're going to send you a link to you version. You're going to follow the link. The instructions, very simple instructions, and you'll get a daily reading plan for about five to ten minutes a day. And you can press in this summer into growing closer to God. Part of the will of God is for you to know Him. You can begin to do that as you engage His Word. And here's next step B. I'll purchase and read the book, Spirituality for the Rest of Us. This is the book motivating this series. We don't make any money, but you can, for 15 bucks, buy it out to the lobby. Check the box. We'll send you a link. You can go to Amazon, save a buck or so, or you can go right out there and spend cash on it, all right? Let's pray about these things right now. Lord, this summer we want to draw, draw close to you. God, I'm just going to pray on behalf of my brothers and sisters here, but mostly for me. I don't want you to simply touch the periphery of my life. I want you to do your work in me. I want you to do your work through me. Use me, Lord. And I also want you to touch every area of my life the parts that I'm very aware of that are draining me, and the parts I don't even see that you already know because you know the end from the beginning. God, do your full work, but not just for me, for every person in this room. I lift up those that are declaring, Jesus, be my Savior. Be the Lord of my life. I give my life over to you. Wash away my sin. Cover me by your blood. God, I pray for the men of this church that this summer would be a time that collectively we press in. We get a bigger vision of you. I pray it in the strong and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.